starting a new series today called High Calling, Finding Out What Your Life Is For. Before we do that, can I just tell you something that you need to hear from me? I just want you to know I love you. As your pastor, I love you. Uh, I know some of you are still at home and you're on the couch and, or you're on your phone and you're worried about coming. I want you to know I love you. Those of you in the room, I love you. It's such a joy to be your pastor. You make it, you make it so easy. <laughs> Thank you. You make it so easy to be your pastor. I just want you to know I love you. I think that's important you hear that. Well, Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. We stand together out of reverence for God's word. We're picking up Paul's thought right in the middle of his thought. We'll come back and understand it in, in the course of the message, but... Here's where Paul talks to us. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that, too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Today, as we kick off this series, uh, I want to talk to you about the crucial mindset of overcomers, the crucial mindset of of overcomers. I hope through this series that you can live into a sense of high purpose and calling. I'm going to talk to you today about obtaining a, the crucial mindset of overcomers. Now, maybe you have had this, this thought. This is kind of the question I want to um, use to kind of kick off this, uh, this message today. Um, have you ever had this? I, I've, I've had this thought. Um, maybe you've had this thought as well. But are you ever not sure what this is all for? Have you ever... Like kind of, you kind of go, well, what, what are we doing all this for? I, I love leadership. Uh, it's one of my favorite subjects. I love learning about it. I'm always seeking to grow as a leader. And, and there's all kinds of different definitions of what leadership is. And, and leadership is uh, kind of about what's coming and then where, where you're going. It's really about helping people get from here to there. But here's what I've discovered is that COVID has erased there. And there's no there, there right now. And if you're like me, you're saying, well, how do I, I'm supposed to be helping people go from here to there. And where's there? How do I even get there? And so it's caused me to ask, you know, what, well, what is all this for? And we can ask that question on a, a big level, and, but it's also hitting us on very personal and life levels because we're, we're asking collectively, like, what's the purpose of all this? What is, what is life for exactly and, and this has forced us to question virtually everything about our lives and ask, what is my life for? I read a, a study the other day that said in the, just the last month or two, um, one quarter, so 25% of people who are in the 18 to 30 year range, in just the last little bit, have seriously considered ending their own life. To me, that signals some sort of crisis of purpose. And, and you and I both know that even when it's good, it's hard to go forward if our purpose is unclear. So I want to talk to you today about the crucial mindset 
of overcomers, the crucial mindset of overcomers. Now, I, I want to, before we jump into the series and kind of jump into each week, we're going to talk about a different aspect of life. But this week, I, I want to talk to us. I want to talk to us as Wichita First Church. I want to talk to us uh, as a tribe, the Church of the Nazarene, the, the tribe of churches that we belong to. Because the high calling is definitely for you personally. It is definitely uh, something I want to help you discover again, or maybe for the first time. This is what my life is for. But the high calling is also for us. And just like you, I don't want to give my life for nothing. And I want to help us discover again, again, as a local church and as part of the Church of the Nazarene, our high calling. Now, what's the option? If you don't go for a high calling, what are you, what are you picking? Are you picking a low calling? I mean, what, what is a low calling? Like you don't reach for anything. You don't attempt to grow. It's the same old, same old. You do nothing different. Uh, you remember the past instead of reaching for the future. Now, we know as Christians, right, that the past and the future are not pitted against each other necessarily. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the writer of Hebrews says. So the God of our yesterdays is the God of our tomorrow, and we use our past to build our future. So I want to talk to us about that. But here's the, here's the big question that this whole series kind of coheres around. And I don't want to give it to you in the form of a question. And, and it's this, who is it that I'm going to listen to? Who is it that I'm going to listen to? I, I'm not a big uh, poetry guy, but there is one line of poetry that I love. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, uh, she said in one of her poems, she said, beautiful, the soul selects its own society and then shuts the door. That's pretty true, isn't it? The soul selects its own society and then shuts the door. In other words, you decide who it is that you're going to listen to when you're trying to sort through all of these big kinds of questions about purpose and what my life is for. And what I want to suggest to you, um, the time-tested answers that are in the Christian scriptures. Stephen Sample, who was the president of the University of Southern California for a number of years, not that I could tell from his writings, a, a believer in Jesus um, he says that every leader needs to tap into what he calls the super texts, and he names a handful of things that have been written throughout the course of human history, but he says every leader, whatever your background, needs to tap into these because they have um, untapped wisdom for all of humanity, and he names the scriptures, again, not a follower of Jesus, he says the Christian scriptures, the Bible is one of those super texts, and so I want to suggest to you, if you're wrestling with, what is my life for, do I have purpose, do I matter, that there are answers, there is a path, there is a high calling for you, and you can actually have it. There's hope. So I want to give you hope during this series. But if we're going to understand uh, what this passage is about that Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 3, we've got to understand uh, two things that we need to know. Kind of for background, we need to understand about Paul, and then we need to understand about the city that he's writing to. Now, Paul was an entrepreneur. He had a business where he uh, made tents. Now, most scholars think that what, what he did is he made tents for the Roman army, who at that time were you know, expanding. And this is a picture here of uh, a reproduction of a, a Roman army tent. So it would have been made out of leather or some kind of material. And so Paul had built up a cottage business, and he would follow the military around, and he would make tents for them. And so he would use his entrepreneurial gift and his background, where he comes from, to spread the message of Jesus. Now, Paul was an observant Jew. He was uh, such an observant Jew. He's a part of a, a very conservative sect known as the Pharisees. Um, and he was one of the teachers. He was a rabbi. And he had a, a radical conversion out of his religious background. And I, I'm pretty confident that anyone who's religious 
who is converted out of that has to have something radical because they're so convinced that they're right. But he, he uh, that's a, another message, but he, he traveled extensively and in the course of doing his entrepreneurial business, he would talk to people about the way of Jesus and he was very successful. Planted churches all across what we would now know as the Mediterranean and uh, he was very, very successful and, and met with tremendous opposition along the way because if you don't know this, Christianity is a challenge to the status quo. When you, this is why. When you tell people Jesus is Lord and nothing else is and all of your allegiances have to go by the wayside, all of them have to go by the wayside, it challenges the status quo and it, it challenges every other allegiance. And so Paul met with tremendous opposition, but he was incredibly, incredibly successful. And he, 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 one of the cities he visited was here was Philippi. I've got a, a picture of it on Google Maps so you can see where it is. There's a red dot. I'll step here in the room, step aside so you can see the red dot. Uh, but that's uh, ancient Philippi. And it was an army colony. It was the strategy of the Romans when they wanted to dominate. What they would do is they would go dominate and uh, they would win. And then they would give their soldiers who were retiring a plot of land in this area that they dominated. And so then they would set up a colony, a Roman, a Roman outpost there. And these were Paul's customers. He understood them. He had a natural connection to them. He understood their hopes and dreams because he followed them around and built relationships with them. And he was able to connect the plot lines of their hopes in life to the, to the, the actual fulfillment of those hopes in the good news about Jesus. Because that's what the good news always does. It connects the actual plot lines of people's life where they're trying to make sense of things and says there's an actual fulfillment for the plot lines of your life. And what, what happened as a result of Paul's entrepreneurial gift in the city of Philippi, this army colony, uh, was a thriving church that was there for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Very generous, a source of Christianity for the whole region. Now listen to what I said. I didn't say it was there for a hundred years and then died. I said it was there for hundreds of years. And then Paul, so then writes back to them and lays out for them the crucial mindset of an overcomer. Now, I want to I explain to you how Paul arrives at his mindset, and we're going to work, through, work our way through the, the passage here. But what Paul does is he deals with what he had, and then he celebrates what he found in Jesus, and he lets that change how he thinks. Deals with what he had, celebrates what he found, Let's that change how he thinks. And this is the crucial mindset of an overcomer. Now, you and I have to do the same thing. And it's very counterintuitive. So let me give it to you as a series of questions, and then we'll look through, work our way through the text. Here's the first question. How do I deal with what I had? Now, Paul tells his story. If you back up a little bit, a few verses, um, you find Paul telling his story. He says, listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which is Jewish code for uh, my parents' Um, took me to church from when I was in my mother's belly, and my parents taught Sunday school, and they served on the church board. I, I, was, uh, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. We're part of the, the Church of the Nazarene, a global tribe of churches in, in multiple world areas. And, and I grew up in, in the Church of the Nazarene, and I was a, a Nazarene in utero. I mean, I was, I've been in the church since I, was, I was, since I was nothing, since I was a fetus. And I, I was uh, there on Sunday morning, and I was there on Sunday night, and I was there on Wednesday night, and when there were revivals twice a year, I was there every night of the week. And when there, were, when there were special work days, I was there working. When there was a VBS in the summer, I was wrestling with the kids in the lawn. I mean, that, that's, that's the code that, he's, that Paul is saying when he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Like, I've, 
I was one of them. And he says, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, the favorite tribe. I was a, he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And in relation to the Old Testament law, what we have is the Old Testament, uh, how you measured your devoutness. He said, I was, man, I was as deep as you could go. I was a Pharisee. Now listen, those of you who know who a Pharisee is, they kind of get a bad rap, but you would want a Pharisee as your neighbor because they were good people. Like you could leave for three weeks and give them the key to your house and nothing would be missing. They wouldn't touch your iPhone. They would ship it to you if you lost it. Oh, let me go inside. You got the code to the garage? Yeah, let me go in and then You'd want a Pharisee for your neighbor because they were, they were really, really, really good people. He says, I was one of those. And for my zeal was so much so that I persecuted the first Christians because they were wrong. They were theologically wrong. What they were teaching was liberal theology and it was a mess. They had bad theology and they were displeasing to God. So someone had to make it right. So I stepped up and I persecuted them. And he says, as far as my righteousness under the law, man, I kept everything, every 613 commands in the Old Testament that I have to keep to be right before God. I kept everything to the last letter. And, and, and he was a leader of the highest standard. When the committee met to pick leaders, Paul's name always came up to the top of the list. He had a, he had a very intense religious background. Now, I don't know what yours is. Again, I, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, so I would, I would call myself a Nazarene of Nazarenes, to play off of Paul's words. I, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of that. I, my education was at Mid-America Nazarene College, now university. I met my wife there. Uh, my kids have been raised in the church. My job is through the church. My, my parents met through the Church of the Nazarene. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really proud of that. But Paul says, because he's describing what he had, he says, listen, I discovered something, though. I discovered that Christ is greater than my upbringing. I discovered that Christ is greater than what I had. I discovered that Christ is greater than my religion. Because we might say to Paul, Paul, I mean, what a background. I mean, what a set of experiences you had growing up. Why would you give up those gains, Paul? And his assessment of that in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. A loss is it's a loss on the books. Like, you can't get it back. It's like a, it's like a sunk cost. You, you spent the money. You, you cannot get it back. It's a, it's a disadvantage to you. And what Paul says is my religious background was a disadvantage to what mattered most. Now, when we think about the past, when we talk about the weight of our past, we're usually referring to hurt in the past and to pain in the past. But Paul here is talking about his past accomplishments. And see, we don't really think those are an issue. But what Paul is doing here is Paul is repenting of what he had. Now, that word repentance, it has a lot of freight and weight in the church and in church people's minds. And so I just want to tell you what it means. It's just a very simple word. It's a Greek word, metanoia, which means with mind or with a new mind you think about it. Paul thought about it differently. Um, he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to think differently about what I had in my past. There's a, a leadership line that goes like this. It says, nothing fails like success. In other words, you know, you had success in the past, but then the conditions change and maybe the team that's pulling it off changes or the leader changes and, and things are all different. And you, you try to reach back to what you did in the past, but it's no longer working and you were successful in the past but it's not working anymore. That's what Paul's doing. He's going like, nothing fails like success that I had in the past. And he repents of what he had. 
And he says, it was a loss to me compared to Christ. And he says, what's more, everything was a loss. And then he takes it a step further in verse 8, and he says, not only that, I consider all of those things, the word the NIV, NIV translates as garbage. Now, we are Bible people. We teach the Bible. Uh, we don't hold back the truth of the Bible. Uh, so I need to explain to you what it means in full, and I'm going to give you the word the Bible uses, and if you don't like the word the Bible uses, I am sorry. You can take it up with the Bible. I'm just telling you what it says. The word there, garbage, is a very polite way of translating it. Uh, it's the Greek word skubala. Would you turn to your neighbor and say skubala? Skubala, skubala. And here's what, this, here's what skubala means. Let me give you a word picture. So when you got your car today and you drove here, you drove down the road and you didn't drive through anything. I, I think, right? Maybe, maybe if you live on a dirt road, there were some rocks or some dust. Uh, maybe there was a box on the road or there was a, a quick trip cup. Lamb, I, I don't know. But for the most part, you didn't drive through anything. Why? Because everyone has a car. And cars are not necessarily all that dirty. Now, put yourself pre-car. How did people travel from place to place? Well, they would walk or they would take a horse. Now, I don't know if you've spent time around horses. But horses, as they go places, leave deposits behind. And not only that, in that day, there was not indoor plumbing, and so you would have a pot in your home, and when you would need to get rid of what was in that pot, you would throw it out onto the street there with the horse stuff. And the way you would describe that street mess was, it was a vulgar word, scubala. Oh, don't step in the scubala! Uh, let me give you another, another image. I know you're like, oh, please tell me more. Um, <clears throat> when I was a nine-year-old, uh, we lived in Omaha, Nebraska. My dad was pastoring a church there, and my job was to mow the lawn. And we had a golden retriever whose name was Kip. Kip was enormous. And uh, this was back in the day before all dogs lived inside the house, like all dogs do now today because we pamper dogs. And remember, if you grew up this way, remember the dog would have the dog house? out in the backyard and would live there. I remember in the winters of Omaha, Nebraska, Kip would be curled up. We wouldn't let the dog in to say, I mean, unless it got really, really cold. And so it was my job to mow the lawn. And then we had the back lawn had this kind of long, steep hill, at least it was to my nine-year-old self. And um, my job was to mow the lawn. Well, I, I, one day I got these uh, just amazing, I still miss them, leather Indian moccasins with like fleece lining. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that suede leather all along the bottom, and I'm all excited, and I'm wearing them around the house. And, and then I wanted to go outside, and my mom warns me. She says, hey, Scott, uh, you know that Kip is outside. Be careful wearing those outside, or you might step in some scuba lot. <laughs> Except she didn't say that word. So I, I, my nine-year-old self, of course I knew better than my mom. So I went outside, and I'm running down the hill toward Kip, and what do I step into but... Whoop. I had to throw those leather moccasins away. I was devastated. I'm still devastated. I'm still recovering from it. Anybody's a counselor and wants to help me. Here's what Paul's saying. My religious background, that wasn't just loss. It was scuba. 
Now, we've got to pause when we hear something like this, and we've got to make it personal, because I'm not talking about, um, I'm not trying to just give you some nice religious history, okay? I'm trying to help you understand what Paul is trying to say and help you appropriate it for your own life. He's saying, listen, in comparison to having Christ, your religious background and mine are scubala. Scott, you're, I mean, you're a Nazarene of Nazarenes. Yeah, I got, I got the pieces of paper that say it. Scubala. Your background, I don't care if you grew up in this and you're a Nazarene of Nazarenes, scubala. Now, why, why can Paul say that? Because that's what he says. The next one is this, this second question. Do I celebrate what I found? Because Paul has found Christ. And he says, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He celebrates something that he has. Now, you know that it's hard to celebrate something you have when you're holding on to something that you had. If someone at one point had given you a, a set of marbles, and they, maybe they were expensive marbles, and you played with them and as a kid, you know, and you, you loved the marbles, and, then, and you, had them, you could hold them in one hand, right? And, and someone came to you with an actual treasure chest in it, a large treasure chest, that had actual valuables inside of the treasure chest. And they said, here, I'm going to give you this gift. You know what you would do? You would put down what you had, because you could only hold it with one hand, and you would receive the treasure chest that you can only hold with two hands. You, you, you would let go of what you had so you could celebrate what you have. And Paul says, those good things, I'm letting them go because now... I have the real treasure in Jesus. And then he outlines for us what it did for him in verse 9. He says, not having, now I don't have a righteousness of my own. He had, well, I'll call it earned righteousness. And that's, that's honestly what is separating us in this current moment is our earned righteousness. I mean, righteousness, that, that category, that, even that word is back and it's kind of hot right now because it's about all about who's righteous and who's not according to how they view things and how they see things. And it's earned righteousness, my way of saying, I, I have this figured out that is divisive. And so I look down on other people who haven't earned it the way that I have. And that's why Paul says we need to let our past accomplishments go because there's so often grounds for seeing ourselves in the right and other people in the wrong. He says, so I could let that kind of righteousness go by the wayside because I've got the real treasure now. And now I have the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So it's not based on my actions or my views. It's based on God. It's bestowed on me. It's given to me. It's bequeathed to me. If later today you got a knock on the door and there was a lawyer at the door and they said, you didn't know this, but you have a long-lost uncle who owned a billion-dollar company. It was privately held, and uh, he bequeathed it to you. He was, you were his only living relative, and he wanted to keep it in the family, and he's bequeathing it now to you. All you would be able to do in that moment would be to receive it and marvel with gratefulness that you have it and that it was given to you. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. I, it was been, my righteousness is from God. It's on the basis of faith. And so all I can do is receive it and marvel with gratefulness that I have it. And then this gives us, this leads us to the crucial mindset of overcomers. This, this, third, this is the third question. Will I let, letting go of my past, celebrating what I found in Jesus, will I let that change how I think today? 
So this is what he said, verse 12. We've already read this. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. I haven't, I haven't got this all figured out yet. I'm holding on to Jesus. I'm not considering that I've got it yet. But one thing I do, verse 13, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead. It's the picture of an athlete at the, at the tape, and they're just right there trying to get it. Straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So let me, let me give that to you. This is, this is the, the, the crucial mindset of an overcomer. Let me give that to you in a phrase. Let me condense down verses 12 through 14. Here's the change in thinking. I have not arrived, but I'm in it to win it. I have not arrived, but I'm in it to win it. I mean, that is both humility and hope. It is repentance and repositioning. It is a change of mind and a change of attitude. I have not arrived, but I am in it to win it. That, so right there, it's like opposite of pride. Like, I don't have this figured out. So there's humility, and I'm willing to change my mind, and I'm, I'm willing to have a different attitude. And then there's also ownership of the journey. There's hope, and I can reposition myself. And then Paul says something really interesting in verse 15. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Look at what they had at Scubala. Celebrate Christ and think differently. And now the implication is that if you're not a mature person, you don't see it this way. Now, I told you that I wanted to talk to us. And when I say that, I'm, I'm talking to us. Um, we're, we're part of the Church of the Nazarene. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, um, it's a global tribe of churches or in basically every country. And one of the ways that we've always talked about ourselves, there's a, there's a phrase that we use about ourselves, and I've used it in, for many, many years, and it's kind of fallen out of favor, and I want to bring it back into favor. Um, but the, the word, uh, the, the phrase that we use to describe ourselves is we would call ourselves holiness people. Anybody know? Anybody hear that? Holiness people? And uh, there are all kinds of other labels we could use, you know, evangelical or conservative. I, I, I mean, those are not necessarily words in the Bible, and I'm not really a fan of those words. But I am a fan of the word holiness because that's a Bible word. And that's a word that we can live into. And I've got to be really honest with you. I feel like we're at a crisis moment as a, as a tribe where I think we've lost our way. And I'm, I'm sad about it because these are my people. You are my people. Here's what I've discovered. It's, I've discovered 20, I've been a pastor for about a quarter of a century now. And some of the best people I know and some of the worst people that I know are holiness people. Some of the best and some of the worst. The best, they're, they're full of love and generosity and kindness and they serve and they give. And then the worst, they're the opposite. They're, they're small-minded and they're narrow and they're bitter and they're condemning. You, you know what the difference is that I've discovered? I think it's right here in what Paul says in verse 12. The worst think that they have arrived. Like I prayed the prayer. I prayed the first prayer and then you're supposed to pray the second prayer. And when you pray the second prayer, that kind of works it all out, right? So I've got it all figured out. And here's what I know. When you think that you've arrived, you don't think that change is necessary for you anymore. And you become one of the worst. And the best realize they still have a long way to go. And one fosters pride under a pseudo-religious flag, and the other fosters humility under God. I want to be in that camp. Now, I've been, I've been asking myself a bunch of questions. I've been, I just, it's just, COVID's given me a lot of opportunity to think and 
And I'm asking not just, you know, I want to ask, you know, which one are you? But I'm asking myself, which one am I? And I've, I've got to be really honest, just a confession as your, as your pastor. I think along the way, at times, I've helped us lose our way. And I thought the problem was with our doctrine. And the problem is not with our doctrine. It's how people have used it and misused it. Now, I, I, uh, I, I've really... I've really wrestled with this, and, and I, I really feel a, a real strong sense, and I'm thinking about this and praying about this and having some conversations about this, but I, for the next year or at least the next number of months, I want to talk to us as a church about what it means to be holy. I want to introduce the word again. The, the Bible's word is sanctification. It's the process of how God's Spirit puts into us and works out in us everything that Jesus has put into us when we begin to follow Jesus. It's the, the process that God's work. And, and, and honestly, the way Christians are acting right now, especially people who say they're holiness people, tells me that we have lost their way because holy people are sacrificial people and they die to themselves and they give up their rights. They don't stick up for their rights and they love people and they love God and his word above everything and their allegiance is first to Jesus and not anything else and they submit to each other and they serve each other and they don't label each other or disown each other. At the dinner, pa- at the dinner table of holy people, they welcome the stranger even if that means it's your kid who no longer agrees with you. That's what holy people do. And here's what Paul says, all of us who are mature ought to see it like this. And then he gives this beautiful word of grace, okay, because you're maybe you're rest, like, wait a second, I mean, I have to look at what I had, and I have to be, what, what, huh? Great word of grace, verse 15, and if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. So here's what I want to do. I want to call us, it's from now till 2021 is about 120 days. And so I want us to, uh, for the next 120 days, pray and dream about our future. And more specifically about our high calling to be holy people. Uh, now, I, I want to tell you, 120 days means we get to 2021. I think just saying the word 2021 merits an amen. Um, <laughs> so... I want us to, we've been through so much. There's been so much loss. And, and if that's you and you felt it, please know that you're not alone. It's been exhausting and it's still not over. And I think the church in America uh, across the board is going to lose a significant percentage. And, and I'm okay with that. You know, you know why? Because that means we can look inside. We can spend the time and say, wait, 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 wait. We were called to be holy people. We take the message of Jesus and it gets down inside of us and it changes who we are and it transforms us into a different kind of person with a different outlook on the world. We serve and we love and we give and we're generous and there's space for people and there's no condemnation. And then we can build back stronger than we ever have, but it's going to take the mindset of an overcomer. It's going to take everybody saying, I have not arrived, but I'm in it to win it. Listen, I'm the first one to tell you, I have not arrived. I'm still figuring this out. I'm not a mess, but I'm still figuring this out. (laughs) I have not arrived, but I am in it to win it. And so we're going to do a whole bunch of things. We'll give you some details and some dates next week. Um, We're going to do some things. We're calling them prayer concerts. and uh, We're going to encourage you to prayer walk through your neighborhood and pray for your neighbors. And God, who do you, where are you at work in my neighborhood? 
who can I love? Who can I serve in my neighborhood? And we're going to have some um, values nights where we're going to talk about our values as a church. And we'll, we'll give you more details about all that. We'll have the building open some during the week for prayer over the lunch hour. I invite you to come with someone or alone and spend some time in this room praying. Listen, I, there's a lot that needs to be done so that we can be a church like Philippi that for hundreds of years makes a difference. And there's a lot of change that has to happen. But listen, listen, hear me, please. It doesn't matter what we change if people's hearts don't change. It doesn't make a difference. Who cares? We just arrange some furniture differently. Who cares? It doesn't matter how, what songs we sing or what style we sing them in or, or, or how we organize groups. It doesn't matter what, what happens if the love quotient doesn't go up. It doesn't matter. Irrelevant. It doesn't matter if we, we have all kinds of activity and we have thousands of people here and, oh, God, make that happen. But if it's just a club where people all come and they just happen to like it the way we do it, if our friends and our neighbors are not meeting Jesus in a saving way, I mean, it just doesn't matter. It's just, it doesn't matter. But if, if we see our high calling and if we can change our minds and have and reorient our hearts around the fact that we have not arrived and, and receive God's grace that allows us to then say, okay, I have not arrived, but I'm in it to win it. Oh, for hundreds of years. They'll tell the story of Wichita First Church. Lord, I, I pray for um, each of us today. This is uh, for some of us, this is very, very personal because we're, we're trying to sort out where we have been in, in our past as a church and where we're going. Some, for some of us, this is personal because we just don't live with a sense of purpose and, and we have wondered, you know, is, is this worth it? Do I, should I even be here on this planet? We want to have in our hearts as individuals and as a church the, the, the mindset of an overcomer that we, in the words of the Apostle Paul, not that we've already attained all this or already been made perfect. We have not arrived. One thing we do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is ahead, we press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are in it to win it. Oh, God, put that spirit in us over the next 120 days. Fill us like you said in your word through the prophet Joel. Oh, that your old men would dream dreams, your young men would see visions. Sons and daughters, men and women, young and old, would see what's possible as we become a holy people, knowing that you've called us to be transformed. And so do that in us over this next 120 days, God. We're, we're open, we, but we are, we are in it to win it. I pray this in your name, with the power of your spirit. All God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We like to leave you with a blessing, a good word as you go out. And so you'll see some folks, if you're in the room at least, you'll see some folks holding out their hands like this. That's just their way of saying they'd like to tangibly receive that. You're sitting on your couch, standing at the sink, holding some laundry. 
you want to put the, put the phone down or put the remote down and hold out your hands and do the same, receive this blessing. You're sent now to know the love of a holy God who loved you when you were a mess, knows how to transform you, give you purpose. You're sent now to love that God, love the people he loves in his name and to serve him. If you came with someone, hug them. If not, tell somebody else you love them. Give them a fist bump. See you next week. Thanks for joining us.